Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Wise Choice, an official Wise Music podcast. We're your hosts, I'm Adam. And I'm Paula and we're the Daydream Club. And today we're focusing on some awesome instrumentals. Awesome, awesome instrumentals. instrumentals. Oh, it's such a fun show. It feels we, really just, uplifting. We, we just skimmed through the tracks uh, before we played it just to get in the mood. And Re, in, everyone yeah. is so good. Um, I thought of a cool tagline as well the other day, which I've been saving for okay, you. Then. On this show, we're looking for the facts behind the tracks. Ooh, <laughs> you're such a geek. <laughs> but like no, to, yeah. I'd like to say that, that I just came up with it on the spot, but I didn't. I thought about it, thought, yeah, that's good. I'm going <laughs> to save even that. sadder. <laughs> <laughs> but that is great also. Yeah, that's um, good. So anyway, yeah, this is an awesome episode. We're looking at instrumentals, um, generally from like the 50s, 60s, it seems, that we've picked out. And just ones that have, have really made their mark, I think. For for various different reasons, but we'll get into that as we as we go along. As we so explore the tracks. Kicking it off oh, with a it's a good up tempo mambo number. <laughs> um, I'm wondering you'll probably know the track, but you might not know what it's called, or maybe even who it was by. So I, I recognised the track, but I couldn't put my finger on where I was remembering it from. Um, yeah. But so yeah, we'll, we'll get into we'll that. We'll fill you in. So the the track we're going to play is called Guaglioni. Uh, by Perez Prado, released in 1958. Um, he was a Cuban band leader, and um, he helped to popularise the mambo in the 50s. Um, and you might remember a, f- a famous song of his called Mambo Number no. 5. Obviously, yeah. Um, I think everyone knows Mambo Number no. 5. His was obviously an instrumental, you know, straight-up mambo, but then that was sampled and used by the German artist Lou Bega in 1999. Mm. I didn't know uh, Lou Bega was German, actually. I, I mean, didn't I know didn't Lou really, Bega was really German. thought about it, but... No. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Hmm. <laughs> Fun fact. Um, but anyway, the main <laughs> use for this, the one that sticks out in my mind anyway... This is the one that it was... Yeah, when you told me, oh, it was off this. Yeah. Or you might, like, this is why you've got a little thing going off in your head, like, what is that? I know that, it's and familiar. Yeah, that's it. um, oh, it's such a brilliant use. It was used in the Guinness advert in 1994. The advert was called Anticipation. Mm. And just to jog your memory, it was one where there was a guy in a room and then some bartender pours the pint, leaves it kind of three quarters full, as you do with the Guinness, mm. and then he has to wait. <laughs> for it to kind of do its thing and settle and all the while there's this cool mambo music going on he's dancing around the room That's funny. and then they finally finish the pint and he can drink it it's just and genius it, if you're of an age where you didn't see that advert like you that wasn't part of your like life <laughs> um, uh, in the days where you had to watch adverts and like you know you couldn't skip things um <sighs> You should go check it out because it is still is a good there advert. adverts like that nowadays? What's well, it like I think now? actually it's coming back. So like we did have adverts. We were forced adverts from like having only five channels or whatever we were restricted to. Um, and then we went streaming and advert free. But I think now it's all sort of coming back in a little bit, isn't it? I know there's adverts, but I mean, are they that gimmicky or that... That was, I think, because there was only so many. You were forced to watch telly, and it was on telly. So good adverts really stood out. Everyone would really see the same ones. So it became quite a social Mm. thing of like, have you seen the latest advert? It's almost as important as the. I don't know if I skipped into school saying, "Have you seen the latest Guinness advert?" I'm not (laughs) sure if that was a. Yeah, you don't know. Like, we didn't care that it was Guinness. I think it was more the music. Yeah, the music would always stick, Um, and then that would sort of become a. 
it, it infiltrated, didn't it, from adverts into the charts and things like that. That's that's what would happen. And it's what still happens now. Yeah. Um, but I think it's the music that always sort of uh, refreshes your memory of, and actually it, it, it has that association then with whatever brand or whatever yeah. it was advertising. But yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. I think there's so many adverts now. Um, I don't know. I don't maybe, know. We're just maybe talking rubbish so now. Many yeah, now. there's so many adverts now. so many adverts now. I can't think of any right now. <laughs> anyway, but, uh, so yeah, you, might also that was think, a good one. you might think that that was an original track, but it's actually a cover. Um, and we'll get to that in a moment. Okay. But it's a brilliant cover, brilliant version. And we'll, we'll just play it now. Get your, get your day going with a bit of mambo. So this is Guaglione by Perez Prado. Joy. so good yeah that's genius great. track it is so good so very good i think music has so much to like give to adverts and things and stuff definitely like that. Do you know what i mean i it think it can make or break it yeah it and that was so important that's just amazing it should be track, the first thing you get <laughs> maybe, <laughs> well, I'm, maybe i'm biased but uh, <laughs> yeah that was really fun okay so it's a cover oh, hang on i want i just wanted to oh, say okay. um like listening um, to that the the um the parts are so great the way they interplay with each other don't you think mm -hmm. with the and it's did you notice it's panned as well so you've got like the the d i think it's bass or maybe baritone uh saxophone doing the do do on mm -hmm. the right hand side meanwhile then the <laughs> organ on the left that. kind of replies oh, yeah. 
my recreation. And then the the trumpets as well and the brass come in. It's just so good. I don't know what what the deal is with the production on that for 1958 1958 that would have just been in a room surely with a microphone so maybe you're hearing it like the placement in the room yeah maybe it was maybe he was just over on the left and the other guy was over on the right literally i don't know we did talk about this in one of the other episodes but uh, i feel like we're always talking about this but i mean how much recording has changed over time it's very very cool sounds great anyway yeah so that was a cover so that's um, what boggles my... I didn't know that. I just didn't know. Um, I, I, so the original was done in 1956. And um, when was that? 58? Oh, hang on. I've just moved my page. <laughs> yeah, that was 1958. So 1956, the original. Um, it begins life as a Neapolitan song with the music written by Giuseppe Fanciulli. I hope I've said that right. And words by Nicola Nisa Salerno. And it won the 1956 Festival di Napoli um, which was broadcast on radio in 1956 with Italian singer Aurelio Fierro. There's a lot of names I'm really having to try and no, struggle good, to get. Right? I think I've done all right. Aurelio Fierro. Um, and the recording we're going to play is that recording from that broadcast. Oh, from the radio so it's like broadcast the first recording of the track. It's very different as well. It's much more Italian feeling. Okay. Um, nice. Good. It's really nice. And it's actually got vocals on it as well with words. So... Yeah, he kind of took the vocal melody and, and made it into this whole other thing Perez did. Awesome. Um, yeah, it should have been performed by Italian singer Claudio Villa, Villa um, but his label forced him to turn Aww. it down. So gutted for Claudio to yeah, not be part sucks. of the, this great song. Um, and in Neapolitan, Guaglioni means boy. But as slang, it can also mean street urchin. <laughs> <laughs> so depends uh, Boy, what angle you're looking urchin, at. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. So let's play it. This is just a little <laughs> snippet of the original Guaglioni by Aurelio Fierro and Giuseppe Franciulli and Nicola Salerno. <laughs> I realised I was only saying the singer. <laughs> Committed Here he now. Is. Sembra cambunda da cammietà sta via. Non mangi più, non dorme più che pecondria. Uve picciri che venati sta gelosia. Tu vuoi soffrire, tu vuoi morire, chi tu fa fa. Corre in braccia a tua mamma. So cool, isn't it? Really, really stylish. like that. Really like that. It's so different. They completely like you can tell it's the same parts with a. But you've got to respect the different arrangement, like because yeah. it is, it is, you know, really unique. It's not a close representation. Obviously, the melody is the same, but the instrumentation then makes it really, uh, you know, a track of its own. Yeah, oh, I really liked great. it. I was That's pleased great. to find that and discover that out actually. Um, Ah, I would never have known that. Makes you want to hear more, that one, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Like uh, it. So, keeping our journey through awesome instrumentals of time, um, <laughs> we're now moving on to the Moon Trekkers, Ooh. which, first off, has a great name, isn't it? I love that. <laughs> is that the band name? That's the band name Moon with the track Trekkers. Night of the Vampire. Are we thinking, like, is this like a 60s band? Are we, like, you know, it is 60s, at the height yeah. of, there was a lot of the, exploration? The, to... the, the bands, weren't they, oh, in yeah. the 60s? Well, that, I was just thinking Moon. 
Um, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Well, you like jump space. ahead of my notes, oh. but yeah, it's oh, in okay. there. Um, so yeah, this is a 1961 track actually. Oh, there you go. See. Um, and there's a huge story around this, which I hadn't. Even, I'm not sure I was even familiar with the track, but I know. So the producer behind it is quite a big name. Well, I'm not recognizing the yeah, no, band no. names. It just by so the producer was Joe Meek. Oh, okay. I know Jamie. And there's obviously a huge story around him. <laughs> a great film yeah. all about his story as well. Really fascinating and tragic as well, but it's really interesting. Hmm. Um, and um, yeah, so the story surrounding the band, really interesting. I was, I've, this is really cool. Um, okay. <laughs> big it I know, up. I, I, know. Up too much. I just Come was on. like, oh, I've got so many <laughs> notes for this because it's just like, Oh wow! Oh yeah! Oh okay. Take a breath and, and, let, and give okay. me the give me the information. So they originally over. called the Raiders. All right, that's um, quite a cool name as well. They formed around 1960 in North London uh, by teenage school friends Gary Laporte, which is a guitarist, Jimmy Rather, another guitarist. You never have too many guitars. <laughs> Peter Johnson on bass, Tony White on drums, and Robert Farrant on vocals. Um, at which time the group auditioned. Uh, sorry, I've jumped ahead of my notes. Oh, no. <laughs> so Farrant left okay. uh, and later started his own solo project called Bobby Shafto. Mm. Not sure about that name personally, but uh, anyway. <laughs> at which time the group auditioned singers and replaced him with 16-year-old Rod Stewart. What? No. Yeah. But you didn't know that, did you? No. Well, I didn't know that either. 16-year-old was... Rod Stewart. So he's been going ages. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. It's still going. That's amazing. <laughs> what an amazing career. Right. Um, okay. So. So anyway, once Rod had joined, they'd won an audition with record producer Joe Meek. Right. Um, he liked the group, but not the singer. Oh, no. He didn't like Rod Stewart. Oh, no. So Stewart left. Wow. And uh, then, then Meek persuaded the group to add keyboard player Peter Knight and to change their name to the Moon Trekkers. Okay. Uh, now, a little background bit. So Joe Meek was an experimental producer who developed recording techniques like overdubbing, mm. sampling and reverberation mm. using like physical boxes God. and chambers. Some and of my favorite things they are. Very physical <laughs> the way he was with it. But uh, yeah, he was a real big player in yeah. progressing production techniques and stuff that people still do today mm. is thanks to his experiments. So he was a big deal. Um and then uh, at the same time, the space race began in 1955. Yeah, I knew it. I knew both, that there was the, like that was such a clear social influence. Yeah, that was. that's it. Like, he was clever. He was clever with his uh, like tapping into the current thing. Current affairs. Uh, so yeah, it began in 1955 when both the US and the Soviet Union declared they were going to put satellites in space. Mm. Um, and in 1961, which was when this was released. John F. Kennedy set the goal of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to Earth before the end of the decade. Mm. I presume, hence the name The, the moon, moon Trekkers. Yeah. It's oh. got nothing to do with the song. <laughs> <laughs> the song's really cool. I mean, you know, but it's not spacey or moony. Mm. Uh, that comes a bit later. Um, but this track, um, track was written by Laporte, the guitarist, and recorded at Meek's home studio in Islington. And Meek even provided the eerie screams at the end of the record. Ooh, okay. And uh, there's a fun little fact as well. 
The record was banned by the BBC as what? being unsuitable for people of a nervous disposition. What? Okay. <laughs> That's fun. I love when yeah, tracks are banned. I can't wait to hear it. it. I was going to say. It's, it's so like, what would, you know. And what was controversial so in the 19, <laughs> early 1960s. Come I on, mean, we've got to play it now. You I know, make... I know. But I mean, it's just when you think of you know what is out there now what it takes and how to get a things can be quite punchy and swearing on the radio and all I sorts i can't even yeah. think of the last track that was banned actually i know like, <laughs> like for this to have been like considered edgy bannable yeah. it still blows my mind a bit it's like wow i need to hear it now so okay, we need to play yeah. it so we can talk more about track. it afterwards it's okay it's got yeah. such a cool vibe it's okay. really good so this is night of the vampire by the moon trekkers and a half yeah maybe wow. maybe the scream, the scream is a bit uh well it might make you jump or if you have a nervous disposition that might uh shock you a bit i don't know it's quite piercing yeah uh but it'd be but, interesting the, the track itself like bannable no uh but yeah, yeah for the 1960s early 60s yes, 1961 that 
Maybe it's the e- the name mentioning vampires maybe, and then the eerie it's all of creak it, yeah. of the door, very reminiscent of Trapdoor, if anyone <laughs> used to watch that cartoon as a kid. Yeah, I love um, that. It's a great program. I, th- I totally think Trapdoor has taken can, inspiration. I really want to sing it, but I don't think we should. No, we might no. need to get clearance of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, yeah, how good is that track, though? Like, the riff, so, I don't know, stylistic and awesome. It is, it is. It's really good. Yeah, very yes. cool. So uh, the next track is the one you probably more likely will know to associate with Joe Meek. Yeah. Um, well, so. there's definitely a clear one that I associate with. So I'm assuming is, the one that you're going to be playing is Telstar? Yeah, Telstar, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Which ties in with, you know, he's obviously very savvy with his aligning his acts with current events. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was Telstar by the Tornadoes in 1962. So the following year. Um, and Telstar was named after the Telstar communications satellite, which was launched into orbit on the 10th of July, 1962. Mm-hmm. And then that got me thinking, I wonder how quick he was on the case with, oh, they've just launched a satellite. I need to make a track and get it out. So yeah, I looked into same, it. Yeah, Go and, on. And uh, Telstar was recorded on the 22nd of July, 1962. So like 12 days later? That same month. Yeah, like wow. he obviously heard about it. Within two weeks. Started pulling together a bit of a band and an idea, recorded it. And then obviously... That's quick for the day as well, is, isn't it? Yeah, that's really good. That's really quick. Um, but then, you know, the the releasing process always takes longer. So it didn't come out until the 17th of August that same year. But that's, still. That's like just over a month. That's great. That's, I know. So like six weeks in total since from like the, the you know. From it, from it being put into space. Yeah. Six weeks writing, later. Writing, recording, release. The yeah. track, Telstar. I know. It's pretty. I mean, arguably that could have still, helped. Because they'd still be talking about it. it, it be, such a success isn't it mm. for elements like that clever i mean it was obviously that's clever marketing kind actually. of a groundbreaking track i think of the days where we're recording techniques again and stylistically um pushing the boundaries of synth early synth i, I wonder if well. part of the fact that it is so renowned is because of the clever marketing behind oh, yeah, it. that's it yeah. and it's always going to be tied to that era where we first put satellites in space yeah. wow cool and it's kind of a crazy idea when you think about it as well i know if you think there's there, you're at our point in time where there's nothing in space, mm. never been out there, and then you're like, I'm going to put some up there. Yeah. Can you imagine being the first person to <laughs> say that? Yeah. Know, how's, yeah, boggles my brain. Obviously, <laughs> smarter people out there than me that figured it out and knew that we wouldn't. We just talk about the music about <laughs> it. <laughs> Let's stick to that. Um... Yeah, so the song was written and produced <laughs> by Joe Meek. Um, the tornadoes were, were kind tornadies, of his, tornadoes. The tornadoes <laughs> were his kind of backing band for a lot of other products productions that he did anyway. So they were very familiar, but uh, they were own, their own band as well. And here's a really fun uh, factoid. A really fun factoid. I yes. thought it was really fun, really interesting. Maybe not fun's the wrong word, maybe, but it's very interesting. Okay, go on. Uh, some of you probably already know, but I didn't know, and I'm I'm thinking you don't know. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Let's test me. Because if you knew, I should probably know. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, did you know that uh, Muse's singer and guitarist Matt Bellamy is the son of the Tornadoes guitarist George Bellamy? No, not a clue. Wow. I know. That's amazing. I didn't know that. That's what a legacy. Quite fun. Yeah. Um, and then going on from that, I started to listen to some of the Muse stuff. And, uh, and if you listen to the track Knights of Sidonia, the guitar work on that and just the general track as well it's almost like a, a tribute to his dad and, and his work on Telstar you should have a listen to it okay it's like 
I'll have to yeah. look into that further now. You've given me a little, uh, a, a little fun. Um, I He's feel like I'm going to definitely tapping get... into like his his dad's legacy on that track. I mm, think. Okay. Just my opinion. No, that could but... be some uh, fun YouTubing later. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have a. I'll, I'll, no, I'll get stuck down a wormhole. Worm. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, very cool and uh, you know historic track. So this is Telstar by the Tornadoes. Yes. experimenting with all of the, the reverb in that can't yeah. you the, the early days of reverb and delays and slapback and all that stuff it's sound very cool just, yeah very yeah. innovative <laughs> yeah so um i found 
I found a cool version of it as well. So there's a, a Bill Frizzell version done in 2014, oh, which Bill we both love a bit of Bill Frizzell. I think, I think, did I get you into Bill Frizzell? I know, I knew you were going to ask. I can't remember. I you know didn't we, know I was going to ask, which suggests that I got you into Bill I Frizzell. I think we were both enjoying it around the same time of university and yeah. particularly the album, The Intercontinentals. Oh, a good album, that. Really nice. Yeah, I really like that album. I think I got you into Because that. that was 2003. Remember. Yeah. The, the, uh, intercontinentals that'd be about the right time then yeah maybe yeah, good anyway what but anyway it? yeah so that he, he did a version of it in 2014 uh kind of doing his his kind of style his bill frizzell uh, thing yeah lots of interesting guitar overlays and overdubbing and uh, stuff yeah i've not heard this i've not heard no, the so i've only got a it. snippet just to give, oh, give you a, bit of a, a vibe of it okay. i just thought it was, it was a good find <laughs> uh, so this is telstar by bill frizzell Lovely little run. Frizzelli run that he does in the middle mm-hmm. there. I it's knew just... you were picking up on that. I was, I was kind of <laughs> That's why that. I put that little section <laughs> in. It's very tasty. That little run is. I like that. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. That is a nice version. Yeah, good find. Well done. Well done. Ben. Is that what you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're just patting yourself on the back there. Yes, right. yes. Good, so, good researching yeah. there. Uh, so moving on, uh, we're up to 1962 now. Actually, it was the last one, 1962 as well. Yeah, we were in 1962. Tell us. Ah, we're still in 1962 <laughs> now. Um, so this track, you'll definitely know. Okay. It's it's another big track, like great vibe. Um, but you probably won't know what it's called again. So the track is called Miziru. Ring no, any bells? No, no. No, no bells. <laughs> no bells are ringing. No, no um, light bulb moments. By yet. Dick Dale and his Deltones. No, 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 no light bulb. <laughs> so Dick Dale was an American musician and kind of pioneer <laughs> of surf music. I think oh, they called okay, him cool. like the surf king or surf music king or something. I didn't write that down. It's got <laughs> lots of organs and things in it, maybe. Or... No, 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 guitars. Oh, okay. It was all about guitars in the early days of oh, surf music. Okay. I suppose it still is, actually, but a very different type of sound. It, was more, it became more grungy surf music. Why am but... I thinking organs then? Why was organs popping in my head? Because... Obviously, I don't know what you're surf, thinking of. Surfboards and organs. Yeah, like, definitely. <laughs> it's the perfect combination. What kind of organs? From. I don't know. What is this? I, hang on, I want to know what this surf music is that you've got in your head. I think I'm still hearing like <laughs> the first, the first. Guaglione. You got yeah, Guaglione. Yeah, I, still I, could, got I could surf to that. I guess around. it felt summery. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, summer to me now because thanks to Guaglione. Are you like, thinking some sort of Hawaiian music? I don't know what I'm thinking. Organ popped into my head. I'll have a think. Um, I'll have a think why like I'm ballroom organ? organ? Is that what you... Ballroom organ on, on surfing? <laughs> 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 Moving on from that yeah. random comment. Okay. Um, so what's <laughs> nice about this track? Oh, no, 
is... <laughs> Quite the giggles now. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, go. What's nice about the track? The melody yeah. that uh, Dick Dale has used is just gorgeous. It's tapping into like Eastern Mediterranean. Oh, I love it. I really like. Okay, so that's is that. Um, oh, what, I can't think of what the chord. Uh, no, I don't want to put me on the spot for modes and stuff. I yeah. don't know, but anyway, it's 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 a nice, tasty uh, scale that he's using, and I and I thought, oh, yeah, that's really nice. That is, and so I looked a bit deeper into it, and uh, so he was of Lebanese and Polish mm. Belarusian descent from his parents, uh, so he was well versed in like Arabian and Mediterranean <gasps> music. So he's got all that going That's on. Nice. Plus he's I'm already like an American him. musician. So he's got Western coming together as well. He's put it all in a big melting pot, which is always the, the best. best. I love music. the big mix of everything. Um, but then I found out that Mizalu is actually a traditional Eastern Mediterranean folk song, okay. um, which he's kind of edited and, and made his own. And the original author was is not known, but the earliest known recording is 1927 wow. by, I'm going to try and say this right, Tetos Dimitriades. Hmm? Dimitriades, I don't know. Um, I couldn't find that recording though. But, um, 1923? 1927, the 27. first recording. Uh, but it had been going long before that because it's a, a traditional folk song. Mm. It would have been passed down through mm. families and stuff. Um but reportedly, the story goes, whether you believe this or not, I don't know, but I like the, I like the story. So we're going to sell it. Yeah. That Dale was challenged by an audience member to play a song on only one string of his guitar. Wow. And remembering his dad and uncles played the oud, a traditional lute instrument found across Eastern Mediterranean. Mm. Uh, Dale quickly played Mizalu on his Fender, just all on the one string. Wow. That's cool. And then that kind of is it is this giving you an idea of what song this is yet? No, it's not. Really? Really? Oh, okay. Yeah, so it kind it's of the inspired string. the way, you know, the whole song basically was from that playing on one string Just that little... on the guitar. And he's also quite famous for pioneering the the tremolo effect, you know, with your you're moving your plectrum up and down mm. quite fast mm. repeatedly while moving the melody around. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Does that sound familiar? Oh, okay. Like that's yeah, the yeah, surf yeah. It sound, just, isn't You it? basically just did it then. My little... Yeah. Um, and it away. this might give it away more. It was like, massively importantly used in Pulp Fiction by Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. The key scene. And it's, yeah. it's like a big part of the thing. Nice. So maybe you'll know what it is Yeah, now. I know what it was. It was your uh, actual... You did such very good impression. Oh, great. You're a very good um, vocal instrument. <laughs> I don't know if that's actually in there, if I'm singing another song there, but that's the technique. Oh, well, we'll, we'll see. find I'll out. I'll let you know, know afterwards when you just mes- misled me and I'm sat thinking of a completely <laughs> different track. Um. Um, so anyway, <laughs> let's play it. This is Mizaloo by Dick Dale and his Deltones. <laughs>
yeah, that is a great track, isn't, isn't it? it? Cool. And clearly, guitar is for sure. no secondary <laughs> to organ. <laughs> now, yeah, it is it's. And like, you can hear that, on. all of that tremolo effect going on, can't you? I'm not sure if he did the actual... That no, must be a, uh, another song, maybe. It was a bit... It hints at it, but anyway, he, regardless. Yeah, I suppose he moves up and down with the tremolo effect. Yeah. yeah. I love all of the little shouty bits. They really add for me, they do. Hmm. It's not necessarily really a part, but without it, I think it would be lacking a bit of energy. Hmm. Very cool. Yeah. And to be said for yelps. Yeah. <laughs> so... Moving on, I've got, I found a little snippet of a really obvious yes. use of the sample. Um, Black Eyed Peas. Black Eyed Peas, yeah. yeah. Uh, pump it. Great use, I mean, because it's already got all that energy. Mm. And then they just add a bit more energy on top. So <laughs> this is a little snippet of Pump It by Black Eyed Peas. ago that i know that's mad isn't it 2009 that was released that was like everywhere as well like it was a real sound of the time i remember it being it on the radio good, like good energy that's all the time yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i mean so, it's a good original track though isn't it that's it and a good I mean, original, original melody like even you know oh, further yeah, than back that back. yeah it's just a cover on a cover on a cover yeah cool uh that's music folks <laughs> isn't it <laughs> it's all just passed along inspiration passed along yeah. to inspiration anyway anyway uh, so while we're on the subject <laughs> of Tarantino, oh, but, we'd like a bit of Tarantino. And Tarantino he picks uses the best tunes, doesn't he? I he knows. If he, does he use it, or does he have a super music? Supervisor? I think he's very specific. I'm sure oh, I've seen okay. a documentary <clears throat> that I think he has quite a big part to play. Mm. You can kind of tell because every film he does has a sound, a certain sound. like Wes Anderson has a look. A, you know, a, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, and a sound actually, Anderson. Wes Anderson. Yeah, he's got true. a particular vibe he likes. Um, yeah. But yeah, Tarantino is definitely one of those directors that understands the importance of yes. music nice and get it <laughs> to right portray get it really right nails yeah. it so very cool <laughs> <laughs> so anyway what are we doing we're tarantino why are we what am i doing um i don't know we just um, got excited and went off on one of tarantino there so i know what i'm doing uh so what was irrelevant when i was digging around I, I, I found that track and i was like oh i wonder if they've got any more tarantino stuff i want to find okay. more because he picks the best tunes and then i, I found this one track which when i first listened to it, i thought is that Karate Kid? What is that? But no, it's Tarantino. Mm-hmm. Um, it was used in Kill Bill. Oh, yeah, that was a good soundtrack. So ring any bells, it might be. Um, so I don't know. You say, I, There's a lot of good yeah, ones actually in say. Kill Bill, isn't it? Um, but th- this was quite a big, like See? another key one, another okay. big one. I think it was even the end credits. Okay. Um, so it's called I, Ein Sama Hurt, Lonely Shepherd. I hope I've said that right. Um, by James Last. And George Zamfir in 1977. 1977 track, nice. And it's just got such a, it's such a cool vibe with, I mean. It, We're just it, loving the instrumentals, aren't we? I am, really? I, could, I could do so many shows on this kind of stuff because it gets me going, like the, when the brass comes in on this and even the pan flute, there's a pan flute mm. in it, I think. And it's, and it's not it an works. obvious instrument you'd think to like. I know, creep. but it especially works in Kill Bill as well. It, has, it brings in that little bit of like, yeah, it brings in the right tone. Okay. 
very cool. Let's so let's play a bit of that. This is, I'm not going to say it again because I feel like <laughs> I got it wrong. Just, yeah, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> you just want to say it again. go on about brass but i really love brass i'm feeling like i should have put the whole track in rather than a snippet for that one right now no, <laughs> you're really more. mean you are yeah when that brass so swells in, in fact all you. of it when he the, the dry 70s-esque toms coming you know oh. mm. yes <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah. yeah i like that very much and it made even better with the visuals then of of kill bill as mm, well true super cool so that brings us around to the last track oh, oops we're there um, we're at that point. We're at the la that last track point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that. Oh dear, it's, it's been um, a long morning. <laughs> um, so, very cool track. I'm going to end in the same way that the friends ended. Oh. With the final scene and the track that was used for that for pivotal that moment. Yeah. Wow. Do you remember it? <laughs> we watch it all the time. Well, I'm looking at the who the band is yeah and do you know what i don't think i knew it was you might not have i mean so the track we're going to finish with today is <laughs> embryonic journey by jefferson yeah. airplane released in 1967 hmm. um yeah well, i, I included that. it I because that instrumental was by jefferson airplane that's at the end of that yeah well the, so it's not i mean it's not really the full band it's actually it was composed by band member jorma Colkinen. I've had some uh, difficult names today. You're doing today. really well. I really you, hope you, I'm you, saying you. them right. Apologies if I am not. Um, <laughs> the, the, yeah, positive intent. We're tr you're trying, aren't I'm you? trying, yeah. yeah. And um, and uh, what was I saying? Oh, and it appeared on the band's second album, Surrealistic Pillow. But it was mainly, it was composed I by him. I love names. Hey, <laughs> the, the, That's a good name, isn't it, that? Um, and he composed the tune in 1962 as part of a guitar workshop in Santa Clara. And the band made him include it on the album. Fun. So I wow. presume he probably played it to him like, oh, we've got to have that on. Yeah. Even though it's not all of them, which I think is quite That's cool. Really that nice. That. That's really um, nice. That's the sign of a good group dynamic, I think. Well, and it's gone on to, you know, it's been used on loads of bits, I think. And most poignantly to me, being a big Friends head, yeah. is, is the iconic final scene of Friends. And good choice as well. What a good really choice. Captured it was poignant, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I had another fact. So the band Jefferson Airplane effectively split into two groups in 1972. Oh, I was just saying good group dynamic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so around that Hopefully. time, they split off to become Hot Tuna. <laughs> And Jefferson Starship. Yeah, Jefferson Starship, yeah. So, and Hot Tuna I thought that was well. kind of interesting. Yeah. Also, as just a little link back to what we were talking about earlier with Mizerlu, that was also used in a Friends episode. Ah, oh, so Friends got some good music. Yeah, they've got some good choice there. and yeah, good nice. taste. 
Uh, so it was the one with the football in 1996, like a Thanksgiving episode where... 1990? Oh, wow. 1996 with, the, with all the boys that and the girls. That sounded so long were... ago. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I, I was thinking you were getting it really wrong then because obviously, the, you know, we still watch them. Uh, yeah, it's 1996. Right. Wow. Anyway, sorry. Which one? <laughs> <It's> the... <laughs> I had a moment then. Wow. Yes. Yeah, that's a long old time one. ago. Well, yeah, time I know. is passing. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, they were. It was the one where they uh, they're playing football on Thanksgiving, and I think the boys are squaring up to the girls, and oh, that's when the, the moment I think that football. music kicks in. If memory serves, I've watched it enough times. I should you know. You should but know, yeah. I can't couldn't tell you for sure. I think that's the moment. <laughs> yeah, you can normally like recite everyone's line. <laughs> so <laughs> it's great. It's part of my history. So oh. that brings us to the end of the show. We are Adam and Paula from the Daydream Club, and you've been listening to the Wise Choice Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. If you enjoyed our show, you might also like Composing Myself. It's another wise music podcast which features interviews with composers and writers getting into the nitty-gritty about how they write and their process behind it all. You can find links to it in our podcast or just search for Composing Myself on your platform of choice.